Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. Excited to bring you this interview with Carson Brown, co-founder of Tor Scooters from London, who are building some of the best designed and coolest looking scooters that I've seen on the market. It's an excellent discussion about the role of design in micro and why these new vehicles reflect the culture and environment they're designed in. I really hope that you enjoy it. In case it's not super obvious, this was recorded first as a video show for our new venture on YouTube for Micromobility Industries. I'll be releasing these videos every two weeks or so and then dropping the audio in here at the same time. If you want to watch them, click on the link in the show notes to check them out. Also be sure to check out and subscribe to the Micromobility newsletter, our weekly missive about all things micromobility. It's curated by Luke Hopping, our legendary head of programming here at Micromobility Industries and includes news of the week, details on upcoming webinars and a job board. If you're interested in this industry, you should be all over this. Otherwise. Have fun, and here's Carson. Let's go. Hey, what a pleasure to have you on. This is our first kind of trialing this YouTube setup, and and, and I just totally appreciate you being here. It's awesome to have you on. Happy to be here, I think, as they always say, but no, genuinely, it's it's good. It's exciting. It's obviously exciting, anything you guys are doing. We've We've had our eyes on you guys for a while, to be honest, so yeah. Oh, well, dude, when I first... So I have a friend of mine who uh, works... He's ex F1 Williams team and, and he'd sent through your guys' stuff because he'd been working on scooters in other areas. And I just saw it and I was like, damn, that thing's so sexy. Like, you <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's, uh, you know, like I've got a boosted rev and I love this space. And so I think a lot about it and I've been thinking a lot about scooter design and what would work and all that sort of stuff. And I saw what you guys have done and I was just like, that is just a really well thought out product. Um, so I've been very excited for a while to have a chance to talk to you. So, um, look, man, why, why don't we just uh, go through? Uh, so I'd love to hear a bit more about you and your background, and then kind of the story that we got to 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 when we you know where, where we where we got to uh, to talk. Yeah. So, I guess my background. I always feel like it's not that interesting, but um, I was working for I think around five years on electric unicycles, which, if you don't know them, are basically like uh, take a Segway. Uh, with the, with the two wheels, reduce it to one wheel, and you stand um, essentially either side like skiing, and they self balance in the direction of leaning forwards or backwards. And uh, I worked on those for for a while, and and a lot of other devices which actually didn't come kind of out into the into the open in public. There were a lot of R and D projects, and through doing that, I ended up being a user of micromobility every day for five years. So I like distinctly know how a user feels about uh, the benefits and the co- and also like kind of some of the shortfalls of the devices that are available today and uh, but yeah today still you know even though this was a while back yeah so when you say you're working on them is it uh, were you helping design them or yeah designing them so there was a, a group of around a dozen of us engineers engineers designers um software guys um yeah it was it was a really kind of cool team um, from a variety of industries, you know, everything from your military background to your consumer electronics backgrounds, um, all coming together to really work on something that we weren't, you couldn't, you couldn't be familiar with an electric unicycle, right? Um, yeah. 
as a design no, team. No, it's such a it's such a foreign beast. Where do you start? You know? <laughs> really, where do you start? Um, yeah. So it was it was truly yeah. baptism by fire, and um, but it got it got me interested. You know, the fundamentals. You know, you've got batteries, you've got motors, you've got um, a, a tremendous value proposition with those things. Um, and but you also have pitfalls. So like, I think that's probably where we can move from what I was doing to. Um, the excitement towards the electric scooter space was, yeah, electric unicycles are a little bit weird. Like I made them. I, I, I mean, of people who would be excited to talk about electric unicycles, I'd probably put my hand up. But I'd also want to say that I recognize that they're not for everyone. They're a unicorn of devices. Yeah. Um, yeah. So scooters are very interesting because they bring ninety percent or ninety-five percent of the benefits an electric unicycle can, but without a steep learning curve. Or probably a little bit less risk and, and a lower like I'm not gonna say you have to be really skilled to ride them because I think anyone could learn if they wanted to, but a mm. kind of a lower level of skill that you don't really have to be special or, you know, athletic or or anything in order to be able to do it. So yeah. You know, I, like I'm I'm very excited about the space, obviously, and I still look at you electric unicycles and go like i like my kneecaps oh, i like you yeah. know <laughs> yeah yeah i like other parts of my body and it just it still feels you know i watch the videos of the guys who go out and do it with those really massive ones because i think a yuko now got ones that go like 55 60 miles an hour yeah. something like that and it's crazy stuff and i yeah it's so it's it's so interesting to hear that that's um you know as you say you kind of get a lot of the benefits but then it makes it it just it's that next level up of what where we think the space is probably going to go. Yeah. So, so you were working on that in the UK. Yeah, working on that in the UK here in London. Um, and wow. the design team was okay. was a bit distributed, uh, a little bit like now, but uh, before it was cool. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was exciting. Um, we 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 made a lot of progress. We did really cool stuff in software and control systems. Um, a lot of unique parts. Um, it was it was really an interesting market, but I think fundamentally it's it cemented itself as a bit more extreme than it was when it started. You know, as you said, yeah. we're talking people who are wanting to go 40, 50 miles an hour um, on a, on a single wheel device, and and that's cool. Like if you're into that, power to you. Like, but I I don't know how many people are. That's that's the sad fact yeah. of it. I, you know, I don't know how how much growth there is there for for that opportunity. Yeah, there's a. Um, I remember when the Segway first came out, and I was very excited about it. But you know, when when it was called Ginger, and they did the unveil, and, yeah. and I looked at it, and I showed it to my mum, and my mum was like, "That is just the dumbest thing I've ever seen." Yeah, and it's there's something about that form factor of having the lean forward, lean back, which feels intuitive, but I just don't think is mass market. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, look. I'm I, so so. You went from there, and what you know internally for yourself. What was that journey from going? Okay, electric unicycles to I want to design a scooter. Um. So it's a bit of a fun story. You know. Yeah. I, cool. I'll, I I'll, I'll say stories. it quite quickly because you know the the focus as soon as we started making scooters was, was was really throughout. But the journey was funny. One of the engineers I was working with, um, I hadn't seen him in a while. He had, he'd actually left the company and moved abroad, and he came back. We met up. And he was like, oh, I'm going to go to a Christmas party later. I was like, okay. Um, and I went and I met my current founder, co-founder, Richard. Um, we, we got pretty sozzled and we basically kind of connected. You know, he's, he's a very bright yeah. guy. 
um, a lot of engineering experience, was working on electric cars at the time and was like, yeah, I want to do something in the EV space, maybe smaller. Um, and essentially this, this mutual contact put us in touch and he was like, yeah, you should talk to Carson because if someone kind of is interested or knows about this space, he's worth the conversation. And anyway, we, we hit it off and it wasn't long before we're making prototypes and testing them. Um, and and it, it, I think it's been, it's been quite a concentrated journey. We've known what we wanted to do. It's just trying to execute in that focus um, that's, that's taken time. Yeah. You chose to go down the route of making a personally owned scooter from the get go. Oh yeah. So talk me through your thinking as you went, you know, you obviously think you're going, I'm going to design an, an electric vehicle. You could see probably the, the sharing space was exploding. Why not go and design for that? Hmm. Okay. Um, and I think this, you know, I, I'm glad you asked the question because it's an opportunity to probably explain some points which might come across brash if we try to shorten them. Um, yeah. From the outset, we had a belief that people would get the most benefit from these type of devices if they own them. Um, and that's because of like the things that they deliver. So if we, if we compare like a, a scooter and a bike, you know, and, and, and a bike is something that's great. Um, but it, let's just compare those. Uh, a scooter is much easier to take inside. Um, it's much more portable. It's much smaller. And it's also able to take you as long as it's been designed for it. Um, a very similar distance within urban areas. So like if you if you move away from the the kind of people who are doing it for sport reasons and you know the lycra guys and you move towards your yeah. your everyday utilitarian user, a scooter can offer so much in similarity as a bike plus more. And when you move towards the sharing model, although you do have an ability to make a huge impact and and to anyone who didn't manage to catch our video, which which you guys kindly kind of put on during the micromobility world, um, you know the reach and the impact that scooter sharing has had. And like I don't think anyone could be more thankful for that. But um, the value proposition is just so different. It's kind of more opportunistic. It, it it doesn't change your life every day, and owning a scooter can. Yeah, that's um, it's it's fascinating that you talk through it like that because it's I went from renting a lot of scooters to owning my own. Mm. And just going like, man, this is the, it's the connective tissue in the city. You know, yeah. it just, it goes from being like, I can, it's going to take me 20 minutes. It's literally anywhere in the city is five minutes away from me right now. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing it, it, as a feeling of how to be around in a city, you know. It's described like, I think in, in some ways, which could be, could be thought of as gimmicky when they're like, oh, you know, it's like a superpower. But really when you have a friend that is, um, let's say 40 minutes by any means of transportation across a city and you have something that you can literally take one step out of your door and step onto and it can take you there in half that time that it's transformative like i, I don't care who you yeah. are uh, i don't care how cars evolve over the next decade that's something that's not going to change um it's the certainty of walking but at three times the speed so yeah 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 absolutely um I love, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I totally get it. And I think as well, as more and more people kind of, we move from, you know, those early gimmicky, well, not even gimmicky, but you know, the, the, the early versions of those scooters, you know, the, the Segway ES2s and things like that, which, which were sort of, you know, they're very utility vehicles. It strikes me, it strikes me. I, I still talk about the, the uh, Xiaomi Mi 365, which is sort of like the most common yep. uh, consumer scooter that you can buy from Segway. 
as being the Nokia 3310. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, of this space. It's the, you know, it's the candy bar phone. It's like everyone had one, you know, and, and, and you knew it was like, oh, these are useful. I'm going to, I'm going to have a phone. Yeah. Um, but we haven't got to the iPhone. We haven't got to these things. And I can see these um, beautiful new scooters that are coming along the, the uh, along the pipe is getting closer maybe to that. And I don't quite know how that space will play out. You know, we, we kind of, we've called it the Cambrian explosion of vehicle exp- experimentation because mm-hmm. there's such a wide design space. Talk me through the scooter. So you've got a, there's a couple of really nice things about it, which I love. So talk me through each of the, each of these features. Okay. So I guess there's, there's probably a couple of fundamentals, um, starting probably from the ride position. Um, so we, yeah. we chose a side-by-side stance for the ride position. And that was, a lot of it is because pretty much every mainstream vehicle you face forward, okay? Um, cars, buses, trains, planes, you know, like like everything the driver faces forward. But in in scooters, what's kind of interesting is that if you make someone, I, I can't do it while I'm sitting because I'll definitely mess up where the mic is yeah, at. Yeah, but yeah. if I put my shoulders yeah. a long, long ways, the problem is, is I, I can't even turn the same like radius left and right. Like, I, I mean, genuinely, and you can't see over your blind side. It's like fundamentally, hold on, this doesn't quite add up. Like why, why was that the way it was? So we really started there yeah. and that was the beginning of what we did. And then almost immediately we, we had some hypotheses about, you know, wheel size and we, we said, okay, you know, we need to, we need to go up in wheel size significantly um, from, Actually, at the time, I think there were even six-inch wheel scooters. Um, now yeah. eight is more common. We're still fifty percent larger at twelve. Like, um, yeah. and and pneumatic because most bikes, and I think it's great to have bikes as an example to lean on. They use pneumatic tires because you get such great ride. Um, so those are like yeah. the mechanical fundamentals, I think, of of some of what we've done, and then the geometries of that we've implemented have have meant that you actually get a more stable ride than you get on any scooter. So there's a lot of things that you see immediately, but then there's actually things that you'd only feel uh, by riding it. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah, that's epic. Yeah. Um, and it, um, the, so it's foldable. Yep. It has yep. this amazing backlight system, which u- utilizes the rider, which I just was like, that's genius. Cause yeah. Yeah. So that was funny enough. That was in the that was in the notes from the beginning. Like we we like I said, we knew really? we knew what we wanted to do. We knew some innovations that we wanted to bring. We knew that. I mean, it's some of these things when when you break them down afterwards, it's a little bit more obvious. But when you look at a scooter from behind, the lights are probably eight inches off the ground. And why are they eight inches? Because if you have eight inch wheels and you have a mud guard, where are you going to put the light in the mud guard? So. Okay, well, how can a how can a driver see that if their field of view starts at like a meter high? Like, it's just yeah. not going to happen. So then you start coming into, oh, what could we do to increase this visibility? And, and luckily, we landed on some stuff that people hadn't done before, which is exciting. But I think the purpose was more important than the novelty. That that bigger wheel thing, I think, is just so fundamental. Like, we haven't you, you see so few scooter companies going that way. Um, but it's the most primary thing for safety. I mean, if you can, so how does it perform when you think, you know, if you're coming into sort of a, you're not going to hit a curb per se, but you're trying to go over things that are a little bit larger. How does it feel um, on a scooter? It's it's so funny because I always, I always get the impression like people won't believe me because like, why would I, 
like, am I a good reference for saying how good the product feels? Like, it. <laughs> how good's your thing? <laughs> like, it's yeah, it's it. It feels very, um, very controlled, very smooth, very um, like gliding, like in terms of because you're able to square your body and use your knees. You you can maneuver the device like it, it's not just your hands anymore doing you know it's no longer this yeah I've got the scooter all through my 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 knuckle grip it's actually moving your knees and your hips and actually been able to maneuver much like you can steer a bike with a seat to be honest that's probably the yeah. best analogy I could think for that yeah excellent cool um, and then so you've kind of got this very sexy scooter and I and I really like it. But the thing I've been most appreciative about Tor has been right from the get-go, you've just had such a strong brand. And there's there's a sort of disconnect that I think exists in the scooter world. Uh, yeah. Is that it's full of really, you know, it's super nerdy. It's all, you know, and, and I think what you've done is nailed that brand brief just perfectly. And yet you seem like an engineer, your co-founder seems like an engineer. Not that I have a problem with engineers, but just it isn't oftentimes where they've gone. So can you talk me through the brand journey that you went through in terms of being able to position yourself? Um, yeah. And, and um, how you thought about that? I mean, fundamentally, we are super inspired by streetwear and those mm. brands. And it, it's something that you can't do afterwards. So the product was designed at the same time the brand and all that imagery was done. So, and... Not actually by the same people. We got some really talented creatives that we've worked with, but all linked through the same people. So there's a fusion. Like these weren't done like, oh yeah, we sent off and this person did this and then we sent this. And it was like, no, these people all came and worked with us. So they knew the ethos of what we were building alongside how we wanted it to look. And we brought that all together. And I think just the benefit of, you know, being in London and being like really diverse and having people with a background and culture that no, we're thinking about that image. We're thinking about um, beyond just we're going to make a scooter and it's going to be functional. We're thinking like, oh, am, I, am I proud to like ride up to my friends and be like, yeah, I showed up on this? Because if, if I'm not, I'm not going to ride it and we don't have yeah. a company. So, um, yeah, it was it was really important for us and, and it remains that way. And And I think we're not doing it for show. We're doing it because like, that's kind of our expectation of what we're selling is that you will be as excited by it on a daily basis as like, you know, it's like a, there's an aspiration for us as well that we want you to be really pleased with what you have in the same way that I think people have been of their favorite item or, or vehicle in the past. Totally. I mean, it's a, it's a totally under, um, underappreciated uh, perspective. And in, in, in my view that we, we don't, or that the industry has been uh, until now not focused on this, you know, bluntly sex appeal of these vehicles, and yeah. that the there's a um, you know, but if you go look back and go into the automobile industry, like that's how they sold these things, and the, yeah. from the get go, you kind of had the Model T era, which was all about utility. And you had these things on the farm, into kind of the post-war era where it was all about you know big fins and you know all this. <laughs> i can't wait till we have finned versions of scooters you know <laughs> it might not be us but yeah <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i know you're not the american style you know but it's it's um yeah it's just it's, it's really interesting and cool to see that and your, your point around about um the intangibility of of it being 
uh, something you'd want to show up with your friend. I mean, we, you can't measure those things, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's just, again, going back to the, I really appreciate that because it's just so the, it, it's the intangibility of the entire thing. It's the feel, it's the, Hey, it's the, it's the connectivity. It's the, it's a superpower. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, we, we, you know, Horace, uh, my co-host will talk about how these things are superpowers. Electric bikes are like a superpower. So um, the, the part, you know, we have to be honest, which is this industry has been, is full of, you know, like Martis? a lot of companies. Martis? Is that, that the word you're looking yeah. for? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it was funny. I talked to, I talked to Joe Krause from Lime and I sort of said to him, look, you guys are the first out there. You're the ones um, deploying scooters on all the streets, yep. I, you know, but the history is full of this stuff. And he said, yeah, who are the people that, you know, who are the pioneers? It's the ones with all the arrows in their back. And the space has just, it's full of, you know, boosted and boosted rev. You know, those guys went big on a scooter that didn't play out and they, you know, $60 million in funding, they went down. Yep. Segway obviously tried to do something, didn't work. So how has that influenced your thinking as you've tried to build a company in this space? Okay, so I, I just want to rewind and say, like, we, we probably should put out immediately that we have a massive respect for what Boosted did. Um, and that's both mm. my time at this company and previously, like I looked at a lot of the things they did and I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. Like, I like, I like I, what they've I'm done so and you've got one, down. you know, yeah. so you get I it. Dude, I love it, dude. It's my yeah. favorite. It's my favorite device. I'm so gutted they went under. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Huge amount of respect. I agree. Although this isn't necessarily about, you know, boosted versus us. I think it's important to remember that boosted is fundamentally an electric skateboard company. Um, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this from an interesting perspective, which I hope like when paired, when it's paired with what I mentioned earlier, makes sense. And that's like the same way that I feel about electric unicycles. I feel about electric skateboards. Um, yeah, there's just only so many people and I'm, I'm one of them who are willing to ride something to work every day that they might just bin it and just end up on the ground. And um, yep. also are willing to learn that device and, uh, you know, embrace the culture of it or the oddities of it as part of their daily routine. Um, so I feel like, you know, boosted transitioning into making electric scooters was was a really big deal. I don't think people made it out as a bigger deal as they should have because they're very different target markets. Um, and... It's hard, you know, fundamentally we started this to answer your question directly, knowing that, you know, that there were all of these companies that have tried and failed. And, and I think that that's why, at least from the outset, I can say we, we did focus so hard on all these different elements. You know, there's, there's no one to say that, you know, we're going to get it perfectly right, but we have tried to be as considered as we could with the design, as we could with the brand, um, as we can with how we think about, you know, the future and how we serve our customers, like, all we can try to do is to be as complete as possible, and and hopefully that that does us well. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough one. I bet, yeah. I bet. Um, that said, you've only got one product, yes, and you have launched with a Kickstarter campaign that has done exceedingly well. Um, so for, you know, it, it strikes me that perhaps you're coming at this from a, you're de-risking a lot of that, a lot of those steps before you even get to market in the sense of you validated, you validated these things are going to sell. You've got a relative, you know, I don't know, you don't have massive overheads, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so talk me through, cause you've got, you know, the, you're looking to manufacture them. Um, they should be coming out this year, like yeah. in the hands of consumers this year. So kind of talk me through that journey. Like how are you doing that? And then, 
um, you know, that pro- yeah, that process for you. Um, yeah, between six and a half to seven days a week. That's how we're doing it. Um, it's been yeah. <laughs> welcome to production hell. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think it's been really interesting for us um, doing this during COVID. We it's as a weird thing, you know, we're kind of a COVID company in a sense. The majority of the companies, more of the company's existence has been during COVID than before it. But that hasn't yeah. made it easy. Um, that's meant, you know, even though, you know, the engineering team are here now, you know, have been here through the, there's been snow in London, which is quite rare. And, you know, they've been in every day. Um, they're in on the weekends. And even still, there's only so much we can control. And we've got, you know, yeah. COVID going on, we've got Brexit going on. And it's been really interesting to see not just how it affects things that are really global, you know, like supply chain, which is which has, you know, been a bit of a challenge. Um, but also how they affect things like our partners that we didn't even really think about. It's like, oh yeah, this partner that we that we work with, half of their workers can't work side by side at the moment. And they're having the same problem that you know, that a lot of companies are having in in the sense that they need to figure out a new way to work. So um we're working as hard as we can, but beyond that um, we'll have some good news shortly, but it, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of hustle and we're doing the best we can. Yeah, absolutely. So in, the, and in terms of logistics, so you're looking at, you're manufacturing them in a particular, like, can you reveal where you're manufacturing them? Not entirely, but, um, every product that we're going to release will be going through our UK base. Every product will be assembled yeah. by us. Um, and, and the reasons for that is because we are intently focused on trying to to deliver on our promises um and the, the the sheer challenge in trying to make sure that everything's right in times where we've been unable to travel we've been unable to in some cases get prototypes you know exactly when we wanted them i think it's um it's prudent and maybe the only way you could do it is to to really get down and dirty and get involved in that process and um, moving on from there, we'll see where it goes. But for the moment, that's that's how all the product's going to be made. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and then, so you get it out into the hands of consumers. You've obviously had pre-orders from a lot of places around the world. Um, how are you thinking about that, that point where you go from, hey, they're now in the hands of consumers and we need to do support and maintenance? Because I think yeah. it's just one of these things that the industry... Yeah. I don't yet think has nailed it, you know, and I, and I, the, I think the company that I, I might, I respect the most in this space in terms of what they're trying to do has been Van Merv. Yeah. Van Merv. Yeah. Um, just, you, you know, but even, you know, anybody who's follow, following the space knows that they've also had a lot of challenges and being able to get that to scale. Yeah. Uh, and being disparate. So. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can speak on how, how we'll scale that yet, but I definitely, I think we got a question the other day where, someone you know one of one of our amazing backers got in touch and was like hey you know have you guys how are you guys going to do this you know it it must have been a particular part i can't remember exactly what part they mentioned but we talked about it internally and um you know the day before we had had you know a breakdown of essentially all the different repair procedures and how we could handle those as a company and i think i think the industry has been plagued by companies that don't have to care after they ship the product. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I think that's very true. I think that it's it's necessary in order for the for the industry as a whole to grow that we move towards at least a system whereby in the same way that it doesn't matter whether you drive a Peugeot or a Porsche, 
you can go and get your oil changed. And hopefully everyone's electric soon, and that's that's something different. But at least right now, for most vehicles, they can get the majority of their repairs done somewhere locally, and and that is what we're intently focused on. There's probably going to be a you know a bit of progress to come, but we will have some exciting announcement there. And I think that um, we look at what companies like VanMoof have done, and and similarly have a lot of respect for for where they've ended up. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, you know the. The one part that I would I would say, having spent a lot of time thinking about this for the e-bike space, has been the reason I like Van Move and their approach has been the super streamlined. They've only got two models. Mm. You guys will only have one model. Yep. Having a similar, you know, it, it's about it's about being able to make it that you design for repair from the beginning and all that sort of stuff, which I'm sure you guys are thinking. Yeah, about I mean, well. so, we only do one um, color. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're not the model t because we do white but fundamentally we that wasn't an accident okay um yeah know, rich has got a master's in production engineering we had some heavy discussions we we're doing one color why because we see the challenge of of exactly what you mentioned is something that has to be taken seriously and it just gets even even harder the more skews you have have you looked at um going to alternative me means of getting to market so for example like doing subscription or a you know being able to buy a bunch of fleets and then and know that you're going to be able to because I mean imagine in a city like London or New York and like this you can easily lease out a thousand or two thousand then you can build up your own um, um, kind of servicing and, and maintenance so facilities. We, we've I can't say we we've thought about it. Um, yeah. As far as like fleets, all I can say right now is that like we're we're definitely like ownership direct to consumer through and through uh, at the moment. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe that will change. Um, it all depends on who gets in touch and, and maybe some doors will open for us. But I think that um, that's what we're intently focused on and everything else is, um, is secondary. Yeah. What's the total pre-order volume at the moment? So we're, we're still in the hundreds, um, but yeah. that's not through a lack of, so basically what we're doing now is we're not we're not marketing basically at all yeah. uh, you know it almost feels like yeah. we're supreme you know um where <laughs> we've done a drop and we you know we're waiting for a bit but that's just because we 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 want to fulfill what we've done and we need to we need to iterate and learn so it, we're, we're yeah. going to be working kind of on that basis for a little bit and um yeah similarly as i said earlier like if we can if we can get the the rocket fuel we need post that iteration, I think we'll be in the position to, to really ramp up. Yeah. Yeah. And talk me through that. I mean, in terms of ramping up, so, um, have you raised any capital to date and then what's the, you know, what, how's that journey been in terms of actually being the company side of things and thinking about the space? Yeah. Um, all the things that people don't realize take a tremendous amount of effort. Um, we, we have raised funds. Um, so I think that was kind of necessary to be able to execute to the level that we wanted to. It, it just wasn't possible. There was no way that we could, as much as we'd have liked to, to be able to just outright bootstrap this company. So we we managed to get um, a good few angels on board at this stage, and, and I think we're we're going to be quite quickly looking to to raise some institutional rounds um, moving forwards because basically it's the size of the size of what we're able to do next. Like we have the ambitions yeah. and we have some damn cool plans to get there, but then we also need to match that with the capital. So yeah, we have raised and and we're going to be we're going to be continuing that in order to execute on our on our goals. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how, I mean, when did you, when did you do your first raise and then how has that conversation evolved if it has, I mean, I don't know if you've oh. gone back out to try and raise again or had further conversations with investors, but like you did it a year ago or so. And to now, how, how are people thinking about the space and how's that, how's that being perceived? Yeah. So I guess we, we, we raised a, a smaller amount and I kind of like probably be referred to as pre-seed um, more towards the yep. beginning. And that was kind of similarly, as, as I said, we, we had a lot of what we wanted to do as a kind of um not dossier but kind of like you know this is our this is our really forward plans and and how we're going to get to it but the first stage was to be able to build out the concepts and uh and the brand and the you know the entire product of what we're selling in order to be able to go and talk to some more people uh so the conversations really changed from <laughs> oh you guys are crazy you want to do electric scooters to oh electric scooters these are really a thing now yours looks so different to everyone else's um, and is, you know, so the conversation has changed, you know, both in terms of from a market perspective, as well as from a, a stage of a company. And and I think, it, you know, it's about to change again as soon as we've fulfilled everything that we're, we're doing this year. There's something really funny because this is the first, you're the first UK-based um, micromobility team that I've talked to because mm-hmm. almost all the design and engineering has either been, I've got, you know, we've got the Van Nuff and, and, and the Netherlands and swap fields and stuff, but then um, most of it's in the Bay Area yeah. or had one other, a couple of groups from Asia. But it's ve- it's just, you know, in the same way that like a car, <laughs> you know how you look at cars and you're like, I can tell which country that was designed yeah. in. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a, it's so culturally relevant. You can uh, take the, apart a about- lot of products and you're like, hmm, okay. I can feel what this company might be about. Just look, yeah. just looking at them. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just so funny to see the London ethos being, or, or the sort of the UK ethos being, being put together into, into, into a, into a device. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess something I probably didn't mention earlier is like where we work in the same alley, Basically, it's pretty hard. Maybe I shouldn't describe yeah. it as an alley, but there are two, a fashion company and a streetwear company. Like, I'm not talking about selling. I'm talking about making. So, yeah, and you talk about like the ethos of the people around you creatively and what, like how that can influence what you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So there mm. is definitely an impact of, of being in a city that's like hyper global, diverse, um young <laughs> um yeah. yeah all of those things yeah 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 fun and what did so where did you um what, what did what kind of engineering did you do um i was trained as a mechanical engineer um oh, cool. and then left when i finished university i basically immediately started an electronics company um yeah where we we did some really interesting stuff Sucker for pain man yeah we we, we did some interesting <laughs> yeah. stuff but um which basically like Google rolled out a product doing what we were doing about four years later. Um, and then we tried to sell that to one of the networks and we got a, like an initial deal, you know, for a volume of units. And then basically when they found out we couldn't do that stuff for Apple phones, it was, it was for the mobile, it was for, for phones. Um, when we couldn't do the mm. same thing for Apple that we could do for Android, they were like, yeah, we're not going to make money. So that deal fell out the window. And then I went from doing pure, almost purely electronics design stuff into Uniwheel, where I was doing 
basically yeah, mechatronics. So we were making motors, yeah. we were making our own battery packs, you know, like basically dead in that kind of mix, that hybrid. Um, and yeah, so I've basically been bouncing between design, electronics and mechanical work for the majority of post-uni, like I guess eight years, nine years now. No, nine years now. Yeah. Okay. So the UK has decided to ban personally owned scooters, which is totally preposterous and crazy in my mind. But, but just talk me through the irony of this. You guys are, you know, you're obviously designing for that, for that use case. Then fine was shared for some reason, but they're not with personally owned. Talk me through how you're thinking about that. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess I should have expected this question um, from the perspective that it's odd. Like, why are you a company making this in a market which isn't legal? Um, the quick yeah. answer would be sometimes the UK is slow on things. We expected that they'd be there already. Um, I think they might have expected that they'd be there already. They're not. It's incredibly frustrating and we have been behind the scenes trying to see what we can do to push the legislation forward. Um, mm -hmm. And and also as as an example of, you know, what we've done, people will, all, maybe people will look at it and go, oh, you've just tried to make a nice looking scooter. But I think fundamentally when it comes to like performance, visibility, um, safety, we've done more than any rental company has ever done for scooter design. And that is yeah. like a testament to what we're trying to achieve to make these things viable transport means um that's that's yeah that's all we can do at this stage you know if we could do any more we would yeah i mean i i think there's a there's a part of that story which is when they come back and write history books about the um the emergence of micromobility in the same way that they talked about the mini or whatever that sort of the, there's the iconic design there's always uh parts of that story which is kind of going like really they would think they did that they kind of did all these things so hopefully hopefully that's uh that's part of the triumph uh is is being able to get over over that as well yeah um and then uh you know let's go forward five years you've got a bunch of these in production you're obviously starting to look like what does success look like for tour i think the success could be measured in a couple of ways you know obviously it's important that we're a viable company it's important that we're able to continue to grow as a team as a company to like you know, firstly, to be around to reference some of the things you said earlier is like, that's the first mark It's like, okay, um, if we're here in five years, we're probably doing well. I, I, I think maybe that's like presumptuous, but I would say like, if you're around with the ethos that we have about product and we're still connecting, we're, we're you know, I think we'll be in a good place, uh, but that's not it. I, I think that we, we expect to be at the forefront, we expect to push people's expectations, not just of a product, but of experience, of service. Um, will we be the biggest player in terms of sales in the market? No, um, I think that would be unrealistic, but I think that maybe this isn't a good example, but we still talk about Segway, right? And that company, yep. uh, I guess they're probably 20 years old now. Um, they, well, they, they were 20 years old. They're still, yeah, 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 they're yeah, still yeah, a course, name yeah. in popular culture. Um, you know, you can you can say segue to a kid these days, and they know what it is. So, yeah, um, I think I think the ultimate goal for us as a company would be to be amongst that um, kind of that legendary status, where as a brand you've made enough of an impact in a space um, that that people you're synonymous with it. I think that would be that would probably be something special. Yeah. 
I, I, I could see it the other way, which is that everybody decides to copy you and forward facing becomes default. Yeah, that would and be. And that's how you know you succeeded. <laughs> that would be something. I mean, I guess I, it's not, I, I can't honestly jump up or down at the, the prospect of everyone copying us as being something exciting, but um, I think it would be, it would probably be a good thing in the sense that if, yeah. if people realize that it's better and they, you know, they try it and, and that's something that it's been hard to do in COVID is to get it in front of people who aren't us to prove to you that we're not gassing like, no, really, this is, it is really good. And that could change people's perception. And then if that does change the industry towards a safer design for, for everyone and it makes it more viable as a vehicle, yeah, it's a net win. I mean, we do, we yeah. do really want the market to grow. And I guess fundamentally something that's important to say is that our goals are not just, it's not just about us as a company. I think that we hope scooters continue to grow at the trajectory they are. And I think that there are some fundamental things that no one's talking about uh, when it comes to really the viability of scooters as a micro mobility tool, which sets it apart from everything else. Yeah. Oh no, oh, let's just do that. What oh. are those? Oh, so- um, What are the things that nobody's talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I think that- No, it's all good, mate. I'm loving it. No, I think good. that- um, if we if we if we were to take transportation right, so micro mobility is a portion of, of transportation as a whole, and we were to say, yeah. well, what transportation is active transportation? What's passive? In in yeah. in the best cases, and let's let's ignore Amsterdam because I think they're a phenom that we would all applaud and be proud of, but they're not the norm. I think in most cities, you're looking at probably something ninety five to five percent um, active versus yeah. passive. So what, what that tells you is like, okay, if, if everyone's jumping up and down and yelling about e-bikes, e-bikes are cool. We like bikes, we like exercise, but if 95% of the global transport day-to-day -day industry is passive, not active, what does that mean for scooters? So there's a fundamental mm -hmm. thesis there. Like I remember reading about Horace and some of the stuff that you guys were saying in terms of the unbundling. And then thinking about everything from a bit of a higher up, and I was like, wow, there's, there's some missing parts here. People don't really want to exercise to get to work most of the time. They don't want to sweat. They don't want to have to get a change of clothes. That, that is a lifestyle change. For us, we're offering you something that is going to drastically improve your life, is going to save you money, and doesn't really require much of a lifestyle change. Like, why wouldn't that blow up? Yeah, this is so funny. Horace and I really disagree on e-bikes. Horace is like, everything is going to be the e-bike and, and uh, you know, this is going to be the escalator of our time. Everybody will ride it. And then there are going to be people who, you know, he, he gave the analogy, uh, which I really liked, which was, um, you know, there are people who ride escalators and then there are people who take the escalator and walk up the escalator. Yeah. And what kind of person are you? You know, it's the people who walk up the escalator who are going to be the people who ride e-bikes. I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of people who just go on like, oh yeah, sweet. I'm going to go stand on an escalator and get ridden up this hill. And yeah. I just, I, I do, I, I fundamentally think that they'll, yeah, they will attract different kinds of people. But I, I as a scooter, as a, someone who, who owns a scooter and just like realizes how much more capable it is on either end. You don't have to, I can take it into any, you know, I go to somewhere and I can like roll it inside yeah. and nobody cares. You know, yeah. it's, it's just the, the overall aspect of the, experience uh end-to-end -end, um storage and and everything else i just i still think scooters just have it over over e-bikes at the moment um 
but yeah, I, I think that there's also this other design, inter the interesting design space, I think, is also the, the heavy micromobility. So the, the stuff that's 100, 100 kgs to 500 yep. kgs, which I still don't think hasn't really been explored properly. Yeah, I, I, it's a hard one. It's a hard one because like you're up against a whole new set of design constraints. You, you're trying to bring the utility of a vehicle. And the question is, is what is it more important to lower cost or size? Um, and yeah. I think that's a really tricky one. And, you know, the amount of vehicles which we've seen that are a little bit odd uh, and like in that 100 to 500 space, I think that it's just so hard to make something normal in that category that is really palatable and desirable. And um, hopefully we see something. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, dude, well, look, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, really. Um, and yeah, yeah. And and for folks who are, who are uh, joining us, uh, the plan is hopefully for this micromobility podcast slash show style thing uh, to be a bit more of a, a frequent occurrence. Um, and uh, but yeah, I, I'm just uh, stoked that we were able to make it happen. And, and Carson's so appreciate. I love your work. <laughs> I've been so impressed with it right since the get go. So I appreciate you being the first on. Yeah, well, it's not mine. Thanks to the team. I mean, everyone's hustling, so I, I don't want the credit to be on me. Thank you very much for having us. Like, we're honored, and and you know, Viva Micromobility. We want to see you guys like continue <laughs> to grow, and um, and this and the industry to continue to grow. So, yeah.